Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, our God, we love you and thank you and praise you. I, I just adore you, Lord, for all of the ways that you are blessing us in our lives, that you lavish your mercy upon us. And Lord, our God, I ask that you would um, give us the grace to uh, know you and love you and serve you well. Give us the grace to uh, receive the mercy that you have in store for us. And Lord, give us the grace to uh, not take for granted the good things that are part of our lives. Lord, we do repent for the blessings of your mercy, how you've preserved us from so much. Lord, help us not take that for granted. Let us not presume on your mercy. But Lord, let us be more filled with the compassion that lives in your heart, the true willingness to suffer for others because of your mercy, the mercy that we have received with such abundance. Help us to know that, Lord, and live from that. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Name, Holy Name, <laughs> Holy Spirit, amen. A name in the name of Jesus. When you speak the name of Jesus, he becomes present. Isn't that powerful? It's what the Catechism says. And in fact, it's building off of one of the like desert fathers. One of the early forms of prayer was to connect the idea of praying to breathing, that praying should be so much a part of your day-to-day existence that it should be as near to you as your own breath. And so there was a very simple prayer that was connected to the length of time it would take to take a breath. Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. So it's this Jesus prayer, and it's connected to mercy. And it's it's like, how often do I need the mercy of the Lord? Well, it's every step I take, every breath I take, I, I need and want to lean on the mercy of Jesus. Naming is so important. I bring that up in part because of the message of mercy. I'm going to introduce another, well, not yet a saint, but a holy woman of God connected to mercy. You've heard of St. Faustina, uh, the Polish nun. Have you heard of Catherine Macaulay, an Irish uh, wife and mother? Catherine Macaulay, the founder of the Sisters of Mercy. Uh, She uh, exercised her apostolate principally, well, in the 1800s. And there's some powerful ways in which she exhibited mercy that her message of mercy was a message that took flesh in opening homes for homeless women, shelters for uh, a refuge for homeless women and, and, and uh, people in distress, and a religious community founded around her inspiring example, the Sisters of Mercy. So I, I have a couple of uh, quotes to say uh, that I'm going to take that are connected to her life that is about manifesting mercy, not just memorizing the message of mercy, not just 
knowing that there is such a thing or even practicing the devotion of the chaplet of mercy. But how about living as a manifestation of the compassionate mercy in the heart of Christ? What does that look like? And so I, I actually, and I'm going to connect this to her name. I, I, I really believe this. I believe that there's a way in which, uh, you know, God who gives the gift of life also has associated certain charisms with names. Maybe that's, maybe that's too broadly stated. I guess a, a way to look at it that's a little bit more, um, uh, let's say, a little bit more, even a little more than anecdotally, or in, you could call it almost inductively. <laughs> if you take a look at the evidence around you, and you say, the great women saints and reformers typically are connected with the names Teresa and Catherine. There are an awful lot of strong, determined women who are holy or holy foundresses, and their names are Teresa and Catherine. And I, I like to call those names world beaters. They, you know, watch out world, here they come. And Catherine Macaulay is a good example of that. She, again, this founder of the Sisters of Mercy, this Irish woman, was not going to be stopped in the time that she lived. She was not going to be stopped with regards to expressing a sense of compassionate care and outreach, merciful outreach, uh, to women who were in desperate situations in Ireland, well, beginning in Ireland and then spreading from there uh, in the 1800s. And so um, I have a couple of quotes that I think beautifully uh, manifest, beautifully uh, make explicit the heart of Catherine Macaulay. This is actually a quote taken from a book about her life uh, by Elizabeth Carroll. And here's the quote. Crucial in the spiritual journey is the moment when one hands over to God all one's endeavors, realizing that one's own efforts apart from God have accomplished, and can accomplish nothing. It is the realization that this is God's world. God accomplishes its salvation. That it is God who acts within and through each one in doing all that is good. I'm going to read that again. It's, for me, so powerful. Crucial in the spiritual journey is the moment when one hands over to God all one's endeavors, realizing that one's own efforts apart from God have accomplished and can accomplish nothing. It is the realization that this is God's world. God accomplishes its salvation, that it is God who acts within and through each one in doing all that is good. This idea of handing over everything to God, don't you hear the divine mercy message? Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you as in, Jesus, I entrust, entrust all that I am, all that I have, all that I'm facing, the ones that I love, I plunge them into the ocean of mercy. I explored these texts with you yesterday 
this powerful message of divine mercy, which the world so desperately needs today, is something that Catherine Macaulay displayed in the 1800s and in help founding an order was really, again, a beautiful movement, a sign of what the Holy Spirit was doing in that time to stir the heart of the body of Christ, the compassionate, sacred, wounded heart of the body of Christ to move into action. That's mercy. Remember, mercy sees, right? Remember, mercy suffers. Remember, mercy moves. Mercy doesn't just sit still. And so uh, there's a, a couple of quotes uh, that I want to take from a, a, ca- a Catholic theologian on the principle of mercy. And it gets at this idea of mercy, I think, in, in important ways. The ideal total human being is represented as one who has seen someone else lying wounded in the ditch along the roadside. Okay, he's talking about the the Good Samaritan parable, right? The ideal total human being is represented as one who has seen someone else lying wounded in the ditch along the roadside, has reacted, and has helped the victim in every way possible. The ideal human being, the complete human being, is the one who interiorizes, absorbs in her innards the suffering of another. In the case of the parable of the Good Samaritan, unjustly afflicted suffering in such a way that this interiorized suffering becomes a part of oneself is transformed into an internal principle, the first and the last of one's activity. Mercy as reaction becomes the fundamental action of the total human being. Wow. The the one who interiorizes, absorbs in one's own innards, in the core of one's being, the suffering of another. I love that phrase, absorbs in one's innards. Uh, I'm recording this on the feast of Mark the Evangelist, and when I read that phrase from this book, The Principle of Mercy by John Sobrino, the quote that came to mind was from Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45, the quote, the passage in the Gospel of Mark, where the leper approaches Jesus, kneels down before Jesus, and addresses him, saying, if you will to do so, you can make me whole. If you will to do so, you can make me whole. And then the way that the Gospel of Mark, the way that Mark, the Gospel writer, characterizes Jesus' response is that it says that Jesus, speaking from the depths of his heart, says, I do will it, be made whole. And it's this phrase, moved with pity or moved from the depths of his being that gets at that same idea. 
of Jesus when he sees the suffering of the leper in front of him interiorizes the leper's suffering, his isolation, his being cut off from family, friends, and, and from family, friends, community, and God. And this isolation, this sense of being cursed, he interiorizes it. And it says that he's moved from his innards. He's moved from the deepest depths of his heart. And, and it's from there that his heart cries out, I do will it be made whole, be made clean. And then he touches the untouchable one and, and absorbs, interiorizes his very condition, the condition of the leper. And I've talked about that before on Sound Insight, so I, I won't dive into it here anymore. But the idea is there's this exchange of condition. There's this exchange of condition where Jesus becomes identified with the condition of the leper. And the leper becomes identified with the condition of Jesus and he's made whole and he's reconciled and he can go back to the priests, the temple, back to his family, back to community because of Jesus, because of this reversal, because of this switch. And, and the source of it is the mercy of Jesus, the mercy who is Jesus and his interiorization. Okay, now, what about us? How are we supposed to get that kind of interiorization to occur? Well, I'm going to bet that you have heard me reflect on the Office of Readings. Uh, I've mentioned it, I don't know, a number of times in the past year. I've made it part of my morning prayer time to pray the Office of Readings for the particular day. And these passages are filled with expressions of of uh, of people of, of of individuals who are in the condition that sounds an awful lot like the condition of the leper who approaches Jesus and how Jesus then reverses it and so you have this so very powerfully present in the office of readings and um and so you could see it in, in so many days. So just for instance, um, if I go back to just this morning, first Psalm in the Office of Readings, it's from Psalm chapter 6. And what does the crowd have mercy on me, Lord? I have no strength. Lord, heal me. My body is racked. My soul is racked with pain. Again, that's not a spontaneous prayer of, of the church praying this in the morning, of someone saying this. No, it's the official prayer of the church speaking this way to God. Why is that important? Well, we'll find out in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. I'm continuing a reflection on divine mercy, on the mercy of the Lord, who loves to lavish mercy down on our lives more than we long to receive it. He is more ready to show us 
um, forgiveness, to give us a fresh start, a new beginning, to cleanse us and wash us free from shame and from guilt, to heal us from the wounds that we have experienced in life because of sin, our own or others, when we're the victims of their sins. He is already as an ocean of mercy, revealing to St. Faustina this ocean of mercy, ready to have us plunge into that ocean, our loved ones, who are in those uh, broken, uh, vulnerable, uh, terrifying spots that also touch our lives. So just before the break, I just was saying, why is it so important that the church gives in the Office of Readings these messages of desperation? Well, when we pray the Word of God, when we pray the Word of God, if we're praying it well, what's going to happen to the Word of God? Well, remember, the the Word of God is living, right? Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God has a way of plunging into the core of our being, being sown there, like the, right, the seeds, right? In Mark chapter 4, we have the sower of the seed, and the seeds get planted on different types of soil. Well, when the seed is the Word of God, and that Word of God takes root in our hearts, guess what will happen to our hearts? If they are good soil, the Word that is spoken into our lives will begin to take root. And as it begins to take root, it begins to manifest itself. It begins to grow in us so that our lives become fundamentally influenced by, transfigured, transformed by the word of God that we take in. And the mysterious reality of the Liturgy of the Hours, which is this office of readings as part of it, right? It's the daily official prayer of the church prayed by the priests and religious and deacons and others who have made that commitment uh, to uh, that promise, more than just a commitment, but a promise to do that. They are saying, the church is saying, here is a situation, here is an existential stance that the church is saying, Come before God, O holy ones. Come before God, O members of the body of Christ who are consecrated and set apart, who have promised, have become obligated to pray this prayer of the church and pray it like you mean it. Pray it like you mean it. It's what I will regularly say to my kids when they're praying the rosary. And I actually remember when I first heard this. It's kind of weird. It was like four years ago, uh, my boys were back in uh, grade school, eighth grade and no, seventh grade and sixth grade, and they were playing baseball. And the dad of one of the players on this church, the parish school team, was a very good baseball player. I think he played like AAA. And he really um, was like strong, speaking strongly towards his son, and obviously wanting to form him to be a good player too. And he was pitching. And I still remember the boy pitched the ball and the, and the dad yelled out to him on the mound, pitch it like you mean it. Pitch it like you mean it. And let me tell you, the, the next throw that came in had 
a visible degree of intensity that had uh, increased between those two pitches because of the voice, the voice of the Father speaking into the life of the Son on the mound. Pitch it like you mean it. And this Psalm 6 from this morning's Office of Readings, pray it like you mean it. Pray it like you mean it. Open your heart and let this word come into your life and imagine what your life would be like if this was your life. Because as, I, as I'm going to read, I'm just going to read the just part of Psalm 6 that, that is part of the Office of Reading today. You're going to be a bit struck by this because I'm going to guess the great majority of you are not going to be relating to the desperation exhibited in this in this psalm and yet it's spoken it's given to the church the church is saying pray this prayer pray this pray this psalm not another one pray this psalm at this point in your day as you pray the liturgy of the hours pray this one and so just hear it and see if it resonates see if there's an echo or more strongly, pray it like you mean it. I encourage you to at least consider saying to the Lord, Lord, I open my heart, my soul, my life to this word. This is your word. I have nothing to fear. I open my life to this word and I say, Lord, make me this word. May this word have its way with me. May this word take such deep root in my heart and in my life that it'll bloom and blossom. Okay. Now that you're considering doing that, listen to the psalm that the church puts before her bishops and priests, her religious deacon and her deacons and others uh, that are committed or have promised to pray the liturgy of the hours and all other laity that are joining in. Have mercy on me, Lord. I have no strength. Lord, heal me. My body is racked. My soul is racked with pain. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, Lord. Rescue my soul. Save me in your merciful love. For in death, no one remembers you. From the grave... Who can give you praise? I am exhausted with my groaning. Every night I drench my pillow with tears. I bedew my bed with weeping. My eyes wastes away with grief. I have grown old, surrounded by my foes. Leave me all who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will accept my prayer. All my foes will retire in confusion, foiled and suddenly confounded. Wow. That's intense. That's intense. Here's the, you know, the, the, the prayer of this psalm, the writer of this psalm, Traditionally, David 
speaking from an existential place, a condition that is so deeply marking his life that he's crying out for a rescue from the Lord, that he is suffering mightily and is feeling like he's among the dead. And then look at the look at the uh, the prayer that's here. It's the prayer of groaning. You may remember if you've listened to me, I talk on Sound Insight. I really do believe that this is this is one of the hidden, forgotten, overlooked, underappreciated, obscured themes in our Catholic spiritual tradition. We have sloughed it over. We don't want to hear it. We certainly don't want to become it. And yet it is fundamental to living as a disciple and to growing in the life of prayer. And it's the prayer of groaning. Listen to it again. I'm exhausted with my groaning. Every night I drench my pillow with tears. I bedew my bed with weeping. My eye wastes away with grief. Okay, just hear that. Have you ever experienced that? I I bet if you have, you probably remember the one occasion or the two occasions. This is the majority of you, right? There are some of you who are saying, I'm living that now. And I have lived that for years, and I don't see an end in sight. I, I trust in the Lord. My foes will retire in confusion. The Lord has heard my prayer and will accept my prayer, but right now, I'm exhausted with my groaning. And all I can say is this, is that when Carrie and I have experienced that particular stanza of Psalm 6, we have. And it's horrible. It's terrible. But it has been used by God to break us to break us open from the ordinary ways, typical typical ways that we were living our life of faith and uh, standing up to the challenges that we were facing in our lives. And so I've I've told this story in various forms in the last five years, um, it was in the past five years that this started to unfold in us. And I think the word that we use to describe this time of being exhausted with groaning and, and drenching a till- pillow with tears and uh, weeping and, and eyes wasting with grief, uh, we, we tend to use the word traumatized. It was so, there was a, a, a kind of trauma that was. Um, uh, landing on our whole family because of what we were facing. And um, to just to say, now, looking back on it, God used that. God used that, that tra- traumatic unfolding of things that were happening in our family's life to... Um, to bring us to a whole new place, to bring us to a, 
a whole new level of openness to him because of the willingness to embrace the reality of groaning. And I'll tell you, one of the other fruits, it's not only was it a a breakthrough for Kerry and me in our own relationship and in our own parenting and what we were willing to do for the sake of our kids and their salvation, but it made us so much more compassionate, so much more merciful as it related to what was happening in the lives of others. I think it's pretty fair to say before, let's say go back five years, go back before that, maybe maybe it was six, maybe or six or seven years now. <laughs> it was a long time. Uh, that would, that would, those were the days where I was giving amazing talks on raising teenagers before I had any, right? Those were the days where I would look at families that were struggling a bit and it was easier for me to conclude that some or most of what they were experiencing was probably because they weren't really intentionally living out their faith quite as seriously as I was. Oh, arrogant, condescending me. Well, the Lord very graciously, mercifully humbled me by putting me in that furnace and cracking that. Uh, and Not that there's more to go. There's still more to go, a lot more to go. But just to say, you start praying the Office of Readings, you will encounter that kind of prayer most days of the week. What do you think is going to happen to you if you start praying the Office of Readings most days of the week and you're praying the Word of God. Remember, the Word of God, a living Word that's going to take root in your heart. It's going to sow seeds into your mind. It's going to take root. It's going to start blossoming and blooming, and you're going to begin to say, wait a minute, even though from all outward like levels of measurement, my life is rather peaceful and comfortable and I'm really not groaning and I don't feel the traumatization that Tom you're talking about. But you know what? You'll begin to manifest a sense of mercy towards those who are suffering from the innards, right? That that phrase from the depths of your being. You're going to begin to have a concern, a care for those who are vulnerable, those who are lost, those who are suffering. You're going to begin to feel that pull to to be to be the good samaritan to reach out to the one who is suffering on the side of the road and to say this must not be i must step in and, and do something about this you know that's that's a very that's the the last quote that um from that book the principle of mercy john sobrino uh he talks about mercy as this basic attitude toward the suffering of another, whereby one reacts to eradicate that suffering for the sole reason that it exists. And in the conviction that in this reaction to the ought not be of another suffering, one's own being without any possibility of subterfuge hangs in the balance. What does that mean? 
tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. Uh, I'm recording this on Monday evening. It's the Feast of uh, St. Mark the Evangelist. And I'm going to eventually get around to the name Mark uh, because that's really where I began in this message of mercy. I began with the name Jesus. I jumped to Catherine, that Catherine Macaulay, the founder of the Sisters of Mercy, and how we then say how you know a name can can manifest something deeply, um, and in the plan of God, well, part of what God does is He sows His Word into our lives, and then how do we begin to live that message of mercy? Live it. Don't just live it by saying I'm going to have an image of divine mercy and pray the divine mercy chaplet and um, and, and know and maybe read the diary of St. Faustina where you can learn so much from her messages, but become it. Become that burning heart of Christ, the compassionate heart of Christ to suffer for others. And the quote I just read from the principle of mercy is that says that this person's suffering must not be. It ought not to be. And I must work. I must live. I must act to eradicate that suffering because it's my being that hangs in the balance. It's not just their suffering. It's my being. It's not just theirs. And you remember that uh, you know powerful story from one of the, the dramas, one of the plays written by St. John Paul II called Christ Our Brother. And in it, you have the man looking on a snowy night at the homeless man leaning against the, the light pole um, he's only visible because he's under the light, even though it's freezing cold out and snowing. The man who's at a distance is looking at the, the homeless man freezing and lying there. And what does he say? He, he's having this little dialogue with himself saying, what a terrible thing that that exists. And then he goes over to him. He overcomes the internal paralysis by just analyzing the situation and saying he probably deserves it and how did he end up there and you know who am I to 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 intrude in that and who knows what's going to happen there instead it's this must not be and he goes over and lifts up the man and then the next sentence that is spoken in that drama in that play is you have saved my life you have saved my life and of course we're expecting that you have saved my life are the words spoken by the homeless man in the freezing cold and snow to the man who's come over to take him to a place that is warm and safe. But no, that's not the case. It's the man who is going over to rescue the homeless man who says to the homeless man, you have saved my life. You have saved my life. That's one of the powerful revelations that come from ministering from the heart of mercy to those who are in need that God brings in front of us. And the mystery is that we who exercise the mission of mercy towards others, 
we receive more than we give. We are blessed even more than we are a blessing. We are a blessing and we are giving. And, and all of that's true. And those who, who receive those blessings are probably very grateful or often very grateful. But the truth is that it is our salvation that becomes manifested, that becomes advanced, that becomes uh, elevated. It's our own purification. It's our growth and holiness that advances when we are willing to move forward with mercy towards others. So it's a dangerous thing to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. It is a dangerous thing to let that Word of God in the office of readings, you start praying that prayer of the church, and all of a sudden, you're going to start feeling this sense of desperation and even groaning over the condition and situations of others. It'll be a missionary groaning, a missionary sense of spiritual desperation. It's spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? This is not rocket science, but it is so foreign to us because we are so comfortable who would want to say, God, please bring it on. I can't wait to become more deeply uh, a, uh, deeply in union with Psalm 6 in my life. Lord, please make my life look like Psalm 6. Who's going to pray that? Who's really going to pray that? Uh, and yet we do pray it. <laughs> we do. It's, it's implied when we pray the office of readings that, Lord, this, this word is, is not just a word I'm going to read about at a safe distance, like the man looking at the homeless guy freezing under the under the lamp. No, this is meant to be a living word that is proclaimed to me. It takes root in me, and now it's going to take, it's going to shine forth through me to others. Okay, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? We start doing that prayer. What is that going to mean for our own lives? Well, it it's going to mean different things to different people because of different life circumstances. I know a lot of folks that are listening to me right now are in the latter stages of your life, the, the last half. Let's call it the last half. I'm in the second half of my life. And so I've got less than 50% of my life to live. I might have 1% left. Who knows? But I, I it, it kind of puts the focus on things, doesn't it? To stop and say, wait a minute. Am I going to live fruitfully the years that remain? Lord, I, I want to be fruitful in the time that remains. And so, Lord, I don't have the same level of energy. I don't have the same level of uh, ability. I don't have the—I'm I, more fragile. I have um, less that I can give right now. Uh, I'm more burdened by the things that I'm facing in life. Well, you can pray. You can pray. You can can ask the Lord to stir in you an inspiration to pray in a way that is uh, sacrificial, that's generous, that is moved by suffering, that's moved by a sense of missionary desperation, acting in that poverty of spirit, acting in that prayer of groaning on behalf of someone you love, on behalf of someone that the Lord brings to your attention. I, it, I don't know if it ever happens to you, but it happens to me. And so I, 
I love praying for others. I do. I love praying for others. So every once in a while, I will get the weirdest little flash of a memory of a guy or a gal, someone that I've met in my life that I, I have like not thought of for probably decades. And then all of a sudden, boom, they bubble up in front of me. And it's like, you know what? I'm supposed to pray for that person. And so I pray for them. I have no idea where they are. I have no idea. I don't know they even know their names. This happened to me I don't know, a couple days ago. A couple days ago, this was a guy. Uh, Carrie and I were at a beach in New Hampshire, and we were in a store. Um, we were waiting in line to uh, buy something, and this guy came in, and um, uh, Carrie uh, just said, wow, that guy, he... Uh, is definitely someone who um, like is a surfer or is um, uh, was very very fit and I think it was in the context of what we were talking about and um, you know I remember just uh, I remember looking at the guy and that was it I, I never said hi to him never said a word to him and and we left and then he went his own direction I don't know why he, he came to my mind how weird is that and I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on in his life, but I'm going to pray for him. So I prayed for him. I prayed, Lord, just bless him. Whatever's happening in his life, Lord, just bless that man. Please let your mercy minister to him. And, uh, you know, whatever whatever the circumstances are in his life that, that are happening, Lord, bring, bring uh, health, happiness, holiness, salvation. Lord, bring your mercy to him. And so that's just, that, that's easy, right? That's a really easy one. Um, the The harder ones are going to be when you start praying more consistently, insistently, persistently for those that you love that are in more difficult circumstances, broken circumstances. Do you know why? When you start praying for them, really praying for them, then you're going to start using some I statements for things that are part of their condition, did you hear that? You're going to start identifying with their brokenness, with their condition, uh, in the way that you do when you pray the Office of Readings, in the way that you do in uh, the way this quote on the principle of mercy showed up. We're going to begin to manifest the heart of Christ, who loves these people. All right, I'm up against a break. Back in a minute with more sound insight. And when we do, I'm going to just finish up the Catherine McCauley and end on the message of Mark. Okay? Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. You know, actually, I, I, I was just talking about what happens when we take in that message of mercy and we allow it to shape and mold our lives. We begin to have it have impacts on us. And I, I was addressing those who are maybe in the older stages, later stages of their lives and maybe have the less of ability to do something about it in terms of day-to-day -day activity. Well, um, I made a change in my life, a pretty significant one about eight months ago when I became a real estate agent um, serving folks that are moving this way um, into Washington and Idaho. And I did it uh, out of a sense of compassion, out of a sense of mercy, out of a sense of saying, I feel a call to walk with families who are trying to figure out how to make the move, whether it is at a you know very concrete logistical level of just saying, 
you know, how do I sell my house? How do I buy a house? And let's figure out what that looks like. But so often in, in my case, it ends up being a much richer kind of interaction with families who are making the move to really walk with them and getting them to discern um, where is it that they ought to be and um, uh, what about schooling and what about parishes and what about fellowship and friendships, all of that sort of stuff. So that is, I, I didn't really think of it like this, but I did that not because I thought it was a good strategic move in terms of a career. I did it to help families. I did it because I love families and I love Catholic families trying to live their faith. And I'm like, I'm here to help. So um, I love that. In fact, um, you're going to begin to hear um, sponsor messages. I probably said that a couple months ago. <laughs> I still haven't put them together yet. I've been just really busy helping families. But uh, I, I'd love to help you if you and your family are discerning a move, even if you're just discerning a move. Um, as you know, this is one of those timing of the market things that lots of folks are recognizing there's a lot at stake. Um, and you might be thinking, well, boy, I, I don't know what I would do for a living. Well, I, I'm happy to help you discern, pray, talk, connect you, whether it's a job, a school, with families, friends, all those sorts of things. Um, and if you came out this way, Carrie and I would love to have you come by, visit, and connect you with families. That's uh, it's all part of it. It's a kind of a mission of mercy, but it's also a, a mission of, of aiding families. So if I can be of help to you, go to my website, mycatholicfaith.org, 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 and you can just uh, click on Contact Tom. If you uh, click there, contact me. And just let me know, hey, Tom, would you be in touch with us? Love to be able to see if you could uh, help us as we're discerning a move. Love to be able to do that, okay? Um, and you'll hear more about that in um, some of the sponsor messages that are coming up probably in the next couple of weeks, to be honest with you. So I'll be doing that more intentionally um, soon. So um, all right, I want to finish with one more quote on um, on this Catherine McCauley, the founder of the Sisters of Mercy, uh, because it again very very beautiful, um, and then from there be able to um, uh, be able to talk about Mark. So one of the instructions that Catherine Macaulay said um, had to do with uh, helping those who are begging, and she said it is better to relieve a hundred impostors, if there be any such than to suffer one really distressed person to be sent away empty. That's strong medicine right there. It's better to relieve a hundred imposters, if there be any such, than to suffer one really distressed person to be sent away empty. And, you know, that that's spoken by a person who's living it. Right? She's living it. She is living with that sense of if someone's suffering, I'm committed with my whole life to be that manifestation of the mercy of Christ to reach out to those. And yeah, yeah, there'll be some imposters. Yeah, there'll be some people faking it. There'll be someone out just trying to 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 you know win, to, to get a buck out of you. But for all of those hundred imposters, what about the one real person who's sent away empty? What do you say then? And so I, I'm not proposing that 
That's something that everyone ought to internalize directly. I am saying that that is a word that we ought to allow to strike us and see what God does with it. See if that might loosen up some of the approach that we take to uh, the reality of the people that we see on the street corner begging. How do we relate to them? What do we do about that? That's not the theme of this program. So I'll just leave it there with that um, final instruction from Catherine McCauley. It is better to relieve 100 imposters, if there be any such, than to suffer one really distressed person to be sent to, to allow one really distressed person to be sent away empty. That's from her familiar instructions. Well, I, I wanted to end the program. I'm going to end the program and get another five minutes here. Um, just mentioning uh, today's feast, the Feast of Monday, which was the Feast of Mark the Evangelist. Now, do you know Mark's name? Remember how I said at the beginning, names are really important. They help shape and mold people. Well, Mark, his name in the scriptures is actually John Mark. Did you know that? That's right. Mark is John Mark. Uh, you can see it in the Acts of the Apostles, where Mark is referred to as John Mark and then eventually as Mark. Um, and he's the he's the evangelist. He's one of the he's not an apostle, but he's one of the four gospel writers. And you know, truth be told, it's my favorite. It's my favorite gospel is the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I love the humanity of Jesus that shines forth so powerfully in the Gospel of Mark. But um, uh, I named my first son John Mark. And I did so because of what I have seen to be the power of that name. The power of that name, Mark. So I think about these holy priests that I know that have influenced my life very deeply. And you know what their names are? Yeah, that's right. They are Mark. My best friend growing up was Mark, and he is a Discalced Carmelite, and he uh, has had a deep, deep effect on my life um, uh, in, in terms of my own growth in holiness and just his friendship. Um, I have a hundred stories to tell, but I'm not going to tell any of them today. I think about, so he was the first uh, Mark that was uh, powerfully impactful in my life, and then entering the seminary. There was uh, Father Mark Noonan, and Father Mark Noonan um, was um, or st- was a philosopher and spiritual director. He w- he was for me uh, a philosopher, faculty member, right formation, and so I, I I got to see his priesthood and and his teaching. And then when I left the seminary and came back, he was my spiritual director, and I, I loved just visiting with him as well. Um, profound, incredibly insightful. I, I the the degree of impact he's had on my life is hard to overstate. He was the one who introduced me to Bonaventure. He was the one who introduced me to the theology of the body or the theology of the person of St. John Paul II um, in his course on the human person, where we read the acting person. And um and so the 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 number of ways that he has impacted my life, just in praying, how he's prayed and how he would um, be with me uh, and, and offer me guidance in um, the spiritual direction sessions. And then I would call him in times of desperate need. 
um, and ask for his guidance and his prayer, um, his insight um, through the years for sure, and especially in these last seven years. And then there was Mark, Father Mark Montmany. Father Mark Montmany um, was is very holy priest of God. He was the pastor of St. Marie's in Manchester, New Hampshire when I left the seminary. He was um, a, uh, a, a visionary leader. He taught me what it was to be a leader by his example and by his teaching. Uh, very inspirational, very entrepreneurial, innovative, visionary, all of that. And the degree to which he entrusted me with uh, responsibility, empowered me through his, um, um, how he exercised his leadership and uh, just really gave me space and and f- helped form me to grow w- was so very powerful. And so, uh, you know, the, and I, oh, I didn't even mention when I was in the seminary, one of the guys I studied with in Rome that had a deep impact on my life was also a Mark. In fact, his name was John Mark. So, when it came time to name my first son, uh, I had four girls before that. Um, I knew that it, there was something very deep in me that said, John Mark is his name. John, the beloved disciple. John Mark, the evangelist. And all of these Marks who are priests who've had such a deep, profound impact on my life. And Lo and behold, um, among all my kids, he has a sense of faith and spirituality and a sense of vigor about following the Lord. It is an incredible blessing. And so there's something in the name. So pray and discern, Lord, what is this child's name? If God's given you the gift of having a child. All right, I'm up against the end of my program. I pray, do pray God's blessings on your day. And I invite you to join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.